Hi everyone, welcome back to the HSE Network podcast. Next up, we have the interview from our HSE UK Congress between Eric Holnagel and Paul Clark. Absolutely delighted today to interview Eric, uh, the Senior Professor of Patient Safety. Oh, here we go. Yonkoping? Yonkoping? That's good enough. Yonkoping University. Um, putting all that aside, I think, um, I mean, I'm new to safety. I'm an events organiser. Uh, digital media specialist but um, you know I'm very passionate about health and safety who wouldn't be I mean you know staring down the face of quite troubling times really I think there's a little bit of mixed messaging uh, an element of misunderstanding uh, to how simple perhaps um, some of the major challenges are and the raise of and the rise of major incidents and fatalities Um, I guess the whole uh, misconception of safety and the mismessaging of the importance uh, and the secrets, particularly around strengthening the resilience of potentials. And I know you um, did a fantastic workshop at HSE UK Congress this week. Thank you so much for coming, uh, which demonstrated some of the ethos of of safety um, and some of the challenges around uh, reducing the unwanted and and harmful events um, and looking at eliminating them to to zero accidents and changing the theories around how do we perhaps demonstrate um, investigating uh, when things are going well in a nutshell when things are going bad which is traditionally what we're doing a lot have I got that right that's absolutely right yeah superb well there are For the benefit of the viewers that weren't there, I've actually got a question outside of the questions which perhaps could maybe sort of demonstrate um, for us your ethos around the transition from the way that perhaps safety professionals are working right now to the way you think practically we should be approaching safety. Well, I think you already hinted at it, but we, we all want to avoid accidents and harm and injury and personally and, and, and work and in companies and in nations, of course. And traditionally, we've sort of done that by looking at what went wrong and say, how can we prevent that? And, and I see that every time something happens in Denmark, where I'm from, uh, on, on a national level, the government says, oh, we, have, we need to have a new law, a new rule, mm-hmm. so we make sure it doesn't happen again in the future. But I think the point is you cannot become safe by preventing things from happening, but you can turn it around and say, how can we make sure that it goes well, mm-hmm. instead of how can we prevent it from failing? Uh, also because if you, if you put all your eggs in the preventing from failing basket, then you are investing in making sure that something does not happen, uh, which doesn't create any profit. But if, if you turn it around and say, how can we make sure that it goes well, then you're investing in making sure that things happen that you would like to happen, which mm-hmm. actually creates a profit. So I think from that point of view, uh, it, it just makes more sense to look at things going well and, and try to, to make sure that more things go well. But, but that requires that we look at things going well, which we traditionally haven't done in safety. We've only looked at accidents. Mm-hmm. Where do you think that's come from? I mean, we had a, a brief chat before the interview, but do you think there's any... Where, where, where was the challenge initially and how can we resolve as quickly as possible? Yeah, I, I, I mean, I, obviously come from we're all concerned about mm. when something, when we are hurt and then uh, one of our loved ones or friends or relatives are hurt. I mean, nobody wants that. But, but I think 
if you look at the history of, of safety, then the, the first book on really popular book on safety was called The Industrial Accident Prevention from 1931. Mm -hmm. It was written by a man, Heinrich, who was a superintendent in an insurance company. Mm -hmm. And of course, the, the insurance companies, they don't produce anything. Sure. I'm sure they'll, they'll blast me for this, but <laughs> not, not, not like a factory or, or a car manufacturer yeah. and so on. But their, their, their focus is accidents, and that's why in, in his book, which is very eloquent and, and full of examples, and even though it's uh, 90 years old now, it's still worth reading, uh, that's why the focus became on accidents, and that somehow stopped, because he was a very convincing person and very good arguments for that. And I think we have sort of have, have stayed with that for that reason. Brilliant. With that, then, if we... Look, at how can we understand, perhaps, based on what we've learned from what happens when nothing happens? Well, the, the, I think the, the, the important point is to question this idea of, of nothing happens because that's what people often say. Uh, they say, well, look at everyday activity, and then they, they'll tell me, yeah, but nothing happened. Mm. By which they mean that nothing bad happened. Right. But of course, something happened. I mean, it would be stupid to say that, that nothing happened because <laughs> lots of things happened. Yeah. Like we are in, in the, this resort here and everything happens. Mm. Catering works and everything is in place and so on. Lots of things happen, but we don't notice it because they always happen and they always work and we just take them for granted, yeah. which we should as, as, as you know, normal individuals, but as safety experts, we shouldn't take it for granted. Mm. You should say, but why did this go well? How can we learn from that? How can we improve that? Do other things go work in the same way? And how can, how can we benefit from that? Mm. It's a lot of awareness. It's, it's very much on paying attention to things that you don't pay attention to because you just get used to them. Mm. Yeah, that opens things up. Interestingly enough, I teach a lot of mindfulness in my CBT. And uh, it says about if you've got a string of notes, you only notice the loud notes. You don't notice, notice the gaps between. True, true. I mean, the other, the other example I use when, whenever I, uh, I go, when I'm near the sea and I like a hotel by the, by the beach and, and facing the sea. And the first night or the second night, I always hear the waves come crashing in. And the third night, I don't hear them any longer. But it's not because the waves have stopped crashing in. No. It's because they get used to it. Yeah. And it's the same with things that go well every yeah. day. We just get used to it and we stop paying attention. And, and that's okay, except if you're a safety professional, then you shouldn't stop paying attention to it. So I guess a question outside of these questions, sorry, but I'm really enjoying this because it's, it's really triggering. Is, um, is it a behavioural change in terms of, uh, does that behaviour come from the individual? Or because obviously we can't change the things in the surrounding accidents and things that are going to happen around us um, from a safety perspective, but we can change the way that we think and the way we behave. Will that reduce incidents? I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't call it a behavioural change, but it's a change of, of attitude or change of perspective. And that's when, when, we, when we refer to what we call safety one and Safety two, to me, there are two different perspectives, two different ways of looking at what happens. But what happens is what happens. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's in that sense, it's a change of uh, 
wouldn't even say a change in mindset. It's it's realizing there is another, an additional way of looking at things. It's not replacing one by the other, but it's saying we can look at it in this way, but we can also look at it in this way, and maybe if we combine them, we see more things than we did before. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think that's that's a way to go about it. It's not a radical change, and it's not an either or. It's it's a both. Yeah, good. Coming back then to the workshop yesterday, I think. It was a question we were really keen to ask. I'm not sure we had time. It was around sort of recognizing the potentials um, that an organization needs to perform resiliently. What, what are your thoughts there? Well, we, we've been talking since, we, since I, I was part of the group that started resilience engineering in 2004, and there were people who had talked about it even before that. And, and, and we've been sort of been working a lot with that and thinking about it and, and trying to apply it uh, with, with quite some success. And, and of course, the question is, what, what is it, what is necessary in order to behave or perform in a way that we say is resilient, that is you're able to withstand the, uh, the slings and, and what's, what's the, what's the uh, monologue? Slings and arrows of outrageous fortune or... <laughs> <laughs> but also, also to make use of the opportunities that you yeah. see. Uh, what do you need to do that? And, and it, so what we've come to over the years is the, the, the conclusion or suggestion that you need to be able to do four things. You need to be able to respond when something happens. Obviously, that almost goes without saying. You need to be able to monitor the situation to know what's going on and to know what's going to happen yep. because otherwise everything is... It's a surprise, and, mm. and not everything that happens throughout the day should be a surprise. That's not very good. Yeah. And you need to be able to learn, because if you don't learn, then you always do things in the same way, and you can't do things in the same way unless the environment is perfectly stable, which mm. it isn't. Mm. And you need to be able to anticipate, to look ahead beyond the situation you're in, to be prepared to what might happen. Yeah. Uh, it's not sure it's going to happen, but what might happen, like now, all governments are thinking, what happens if the if the coronavirus mm. goes out of control? Yeah. I mean, they're, they're seriously thinking about yeah. that. So these four, we call them potentials, is what in we, what we need as individuals, what we need as organizations, what mm. we need as, as companies and nations and so on. Do you think that perhaps, though, um, <coughs> projecting a little bit too further forward to being too vigilant about what might happen, we're going to create and install more sort of fear-based behaviours around the things that we do? Yeah, you, you can certainly certainly overdo that, and, and um, certainly some people are in, in, in all kinds of situations trying to sort of paint the worst possible picture to, to sort of force others to do behave in a certain way and I'm not going to either go into politics or anything about no, of course, that. Yeah. I we'll see, we see that when you have uh, national elections and so on. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Another time maybe. <laughs> yeah, 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 another time. Well they have one in some other in a big country now they're yeah. that. Uh, so I, I think we, one need to be realistic of that because there's sort of two attitudes. One is no we don't want to look at the future because the future is uncertain and, and we can't deal with things that are uncertain, that's why we only want to respond to what has happened because yes. it's certain. That's sort of the heads in the sand argument, that's not very good. But on, uh, the other extreme is to say to be sort of hyper anxious about what could possibly happen, but that's mm. also paralyzing. Mm. So you need to find a, a balance there, you need to look, you need to look ahead, you need mm. to, and we all do that in our lives, we think about what's going to happen 
next year or in 10 years or whatever and, and what's going to happen to our kids and what are the educational systems going to be like. But, but we can't worry too much about that. But, but we just need to consider it because denying it or, or neglecting to do it is not going to improve our own situation. Sure, sure, sure. That makes perfect sense. Resilience. I've got one more question after this, but I just want to hit on resilience. There will be people, there's 3,000 plus members of, of network um, all over the world. How would you define resilience uh, in your professional opinion? Well, the answer is I don't define resilience. I, I define resilient performance because I don't think there is something called resilience as a as a quality or something that's tangible, you can measure it or anything about. But we can say performance is resilient if a system, a company is able to perform as it should under expected and unexpected conditions alike. Because that's what we want it to be able to. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Okay, the final question then um, is how do we measure? and manage those resilience potentials? What are your thoughts? Well, that, that's, what we have, that's partly why we thought of it, because we, we initially realized there is, if, there's, if there isn't anything called resilience, you can't manage resilience as such. And mm. uh, that's almost a bit like safety culture. People talk about safety culture, and they want to manage safety culture as if it was something by itself, which it isn't, of course. Uh, so, so we said, but the resilience potentials, the potentials, say the potential to respond. You can then look at it, what does it take? And, and for any company, you can say, well, if you look at our, how are we able to respond? What are we able to respond to uh, market changes, changes in, in prices of, of materials mm -hmm. and so on, delays in the system, uh, new opportunities? Uh, uh, what are we not? prepared to respond to why haven't we thought of that or do we are we happy with our response set how do we have the assigned resources to do it can we do it quick mm -hmm. enough because being able to respond immediately is a cost because mm -hmm. you can't use that resource for something else sure uh, so where, where's the optimal time for some for some things you have to be able to respond immediately like if you have a fire here the fire brigade isn't brigade is in standby and they don't mm -hmm. do anything else and as a society, we have agreed this is worth the, the cost, mm. ambulances and so on. Other things we say, no, we, well, we should be ready to respond in, you know, in an X minutes, hours, days, weeks. Mm. So uh, any company can ask itself questions like that. What can we respond to? How ready are we? How much have we invested in it? How do we, how do we maintain the response? How do we verify we are able to respond? How long can we respond? Uh, and, and you can ask very concrete questions about that and you can use that to assess what is your potential to respond. And you can use that to say, well, this is not as good as we would like it. How can we improve that? Because, yeah. because then you're talking about something concrete and then you can actually think about concretely how to improve that. So yeah. thinking in terms of the potentials and the details of the potentials enables you to get an assessment. That, that's why we call the resilience assessment. Group, yes. An assessment of the status of the potentials at any given time in the company, but it also gives you an idea about what should you do either to improve a part of a potential that's not good enough, but also what should we do to sustain mm. 
and a capacity or potential that is good enough because that's equally important. That's wonderful, wonderful. Well, thank you so much. I think it's lots of food for thought um, and a wonderful presentation yesterday at the event. And I'm sure this will really help to benefit people's thinking and, and certainly thought-provoking in terms of the difference in and, and the channels that we should be uh, we should be looking down in order to improve across the industry. So thank you so much for your time, Eric, today. My pleasure. And we look forward to having you again. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. A fantastic interview between Paul and Eric. It's great to sit down with one of the key minds behind the Safety Differently and Safety 2 movement to really get an idea of what the new ideas mean. So thank you to everyone for listening, and we'll see you in the next episode of the podcast.